was coming. They warned me about it. We were prepared. But it just did not fully... I could not fully comprehend what actually took place. It was about eight years ago when because of the legacy that I had that almost everyone in my family had been police officers and I knew the chief of police in Mansfield, I had been asked, invited, maybe coerced is the word, to be a part of the Citizens Police Academy. It was a, an eight-month training in which once a month, uh, on a, a Tuesday, we would gather together and, and we would go through the different facets of, of police work, riding in squad cars. Uh, at one point, I, I got to, to don this large uh, suit and run from a very angry dog uh, that would drag me to the ground. But the one, the one night I will never forget is is as the, we were visiting with the SWAT team and they were trying to prepare us for what would take place when he would pull the pin and throw that flash bomb. Flash bombs were intended not to harm, but simply to disorient someone. Uh, and they come by their name honestly. You, you throw this, this canister in, they typically uh, will, will throw it into a window of a house where there are some perpetrators and there will be a, 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 a very, very thunderous boom. Uh, at the same time, instantaneously, there's this, this flash of, of bright light. And if that happens at night, uh, it's even more scary because everything else, your eyes have gotten accustomed to the dark and that light comes and, and the thud that just literally shakes all of your internal organs. And that thing goes off. And we knew this. And they said, get ready for this. In fact, they said, we're going to do this outside because we don't, we don't want you know, your hearing to be out for the next three or four days. And so we were outside standing around there and they threw that thing and boom. And that, that flash came. It was already dark. And the flash came and you couldn't see a thing. It just blinded you for a few seconds. I mean, I, I felt like I, I had to be... Uh, on the road to Damascus, and I was I was ready to hit the ground and say, you know, who is this? And that that loud bang would would make any fireworks show seem like just a little firecracker. And I couldn't hear a thing. My ears were ringing. I couldn't see, and I was disoriented. And I knew it was coming. I mean, for several, for several seconds there, if you had asked me my name, one, I couldn't have heard you, but two, I couldn't even comprehend what was going on. And they intended those things for one simple purpose, to distract and disorient someone who might be ready to do harm to someone who's about to come in that door. You know, that's the way that Satan works is that he wants to distract and disorient us. He wants us to cut our eyes, to turn our way, and not really focus on Jesus and the cross. As we have been working through the Sermon on the Mount over the last several months, we've actually gotten to what uh, is, is known as Jesus' conclusion. I mean, this really is the so what of His sermon. He's talked about the Beatitudes. He's talked about murder, adultery, divorce. Oaths, eye for an eye, loving enemies, fasting, praying, giving, 
He's talking about not worrying, about storing up your treasures in heaven, about ask, seek, and knock, about not judging others. And so now he gets to the really important part. I don't know if I should say that because that makes us think that the rest wasn't important. But what he's saying here is, so what? What are you going to do now? What does it really mean for you? And over the, the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the, the three different applications the illustrations that he uses when he asks the question, so what? What did it mean for his followers? And this morning, what he's trying to do is he's challenging them and us to think about what the gospel really means. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and few find it. But narrow is the road and small is the gate that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, I don't know about you, but from the very onset, it's a little scary to read that. To think about that that there's only going to be a few. I mean, that's what he's really saying, isn't it? That there's really only going to be a few. But so many more are going to miss out. It's interesting to note that if you look at the Greek context, the the syntax, that this is not really a warning so much as it is a challenge. He's saying, get ready for the fact that being a Christian, that following me is not going to be easy. Uh, something that you'll talk a little bit later on in your life groups this afternoon is the idea of what life really is. And I use the analogy of being on a boat, of what life is really like. And for those who choose not to follow Christ, it can be seen more like a cruise ship. Because that's what life is if you don't believe in Jesus. Because if there's no Jesus, there's no eternity and there's no purpose in your life. And so what you really want to do is you want to get everything out of it. You want to carpe diem. You want to seize the day because this is your one shot and this is, this is where we're, you're going to get it all. And so you better really enjoy it. So choosing... Not to follow Jesus can be seen like a cruise ship. You board on and there are people who are there waiting on you and waiting for you and serving you and entertaining you. In fact, the whole purpose of a cruise ship is for you to be happy and well fed. That's really the purpose of it. Because as you go on a cruise ship, you know what happens, don't you? Do you know where you end up? After the end of the cruise, this, the same place where you started. It's just an opportunity for somebody to please you and serve you. But following Jesus is a little different, isn't it? He makes very clear that being a Christian doesn't mean that you're on a cruise ship. In fact, it's, it's more like It's more like you're on a little sailor's dinghy. Or maybe better yet, a fisherman's boat. 
Have you ever been on a fishing boat before? For a real fisherman, it means that you get on a boat with stinky bait and slime on the sides. And if it was built several decades ago, you might not have had a motor, you had oars. And so Jesus is saying right here, listen, if you want to follow me, it's going to take work. You're not going to lounge on a deck. You're not going to hit golf balls off the back. You're not going to sit at a table while you demand, expect, or feel entitled to some type of treatment. For somebody to come around and feed you. If you choose to follow me, it's going to be tough. It's not going to be easy. You see, if you get the mentality that Christianity is like a cruise ship, there's going to be a rude awakening when things don't go the way you want them to go. And it's going to be much easier to complain about things. That things didn't turn out the way you wanted them to. And I I really think that God should have done something different for me. I mean, really, I'm here to be pleased, right? But to follow Jesus means that we're willing to grab the oar. And when things don't work out the way we want them to, it's because God never intended to be your butler or your maid. It's not easy. Several years ago, I read a great piece of wisdom in which a writer in the book said this. He said that when you prepare for a difficult journey and you know the road ahead will be rough, every bump that you hit reminds you that you're on the right path. Think about that for just a second. Do you feel like Christianity is a bumpy road? Do you believe that when Jesus called you to follow Him, He said, I want you to know it's not going to be an easy path. Or do you expect something else from Him? You know, the Israelites, they seem to expect a little more from God than what they got. It wasn't simply enough that He had delivered them. It wasn't enough that He had parted the sea for them. It wasn't even enough that by day there was a pillar of cloud and by night there was a pillar of fire to walk them through the desert to the land that had been promised, it just simply wasn't enough. The golden calf at the foot of Mount Sinai proved that. Or how about the twelve spies as they entered into the land? It wasn't simply enough that God had delivered them. They wanted something more. And they couldn't believe that God would deliver it. And so every bump that they felt 
It was an opportunity to shake their fist at God and say, you've done me wrong. Why did you lead us out here to die? For the Israelites in the desert, the road was quite broad. I do want to ask the question, why do you suppose that Jesus chose to talk about a gate and a road? Was it a little redundant for him to do so? Why didn't he say, it's a small gate, it's hard to get through? Why didn't he say, it's a big gate, it's easy to go through? Why would he choose to talk about a road? It's something familiar? Let's say this is the gate in which I'm going to go into this, this yard. How long does it take for me to go through this gate? About a couple seconds. Not very long at all. It's the road to it. And actually, with the Greek, there's some argument as to whether it was the road that leads to the gate or the gate that leads to the road. But irregardless, Jesus says this. It's a road. It's a long one. It's a narrow one. And some days, it's even a lonely one. See, Jesus is preparing His followers. He did this over and over again. People said, I'll follow you. And Jesus says, you know what? Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay His head. Another one says, well, I'll follow you. Let me first bury my father. Let the dead bury their own. Anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. Over and over, Jesus is trying to prepare his followers for a difficult journey. It's easy to believe as we read it, right? But I want to ask you, how bumpy is the road you're on because of your decision To choose Jesus. How is your life drastically altered by the fact that you said following Jesus means I'm going to give up this and I'm going to give up this and I'm going to choose not to do this? How has it affected your life? How have you chosen not to be tolerant of this society? To go against what normal says and does. You know, we've become so desensitized. And, and we can point the finger at media. And I, I think Satan does a, a wonderful job of using the media to corrupt our society. But when are we going to stop pointing the finger saying it's them? And start be willing to stand up and say, we're going to do something about it. It's a tough road. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be bumpy. It's going to be rough. It's going to be filled with some long hills and some steep inclines. You're going to be crawling around on some places. How many of you are ready to sign up for that? Here's what Jesus really is trying to tell them. 
You have to choose, Bill. You, you, can't, you can't go boat hopping. He doesn't say, I ah, ride on the cruise for a little while and when you don't like it, you can swap over, you can go back and forth. He says, there's two ways. One goes this way and the other goes that way. You have to choose. There is no middle ground. If you're not in the boat, you're sinking in the water. So what decision are you willing to make? Are you willing to follow Jesus at all costs? Are you willing to be one of those ones who chooses to be on that narrow road? Are you one who just would as soon get lost in the crowd? So many times we're offered an opportunity to follow Jesus. Are we really willing to get in that boat with Him? Do we really want to follow Him? And what does that mean? That last question I just asked, I really can't answer. Because I don't know what it means for you in your life. I don't know what it looks like for Paula. I don't know what the narrow road will look like for you, but there's decisions that you have to make. And in doing so, you're going to miss the cruise liner. Are you okay with that? Jerry, do you feel okay knowing that you're going to miss the cruise liner? Can you feel good about that? Monty? I mean, it's a decision that we have to make, Mike. We have to be willing to say, I'm going to get in the boat with Jesus or I'm going to take the cruise ship with everybody else. And even if you're under the age of 18 and you think, I don't need to make that decision yet, Alexis, I'm telling you right now, that's a decision that you're being asked right now. How important is it for you to get in the boat with Jesus? Satan's favorite gimmick is tomorrow. He says, I'll wait till tomorrow and then I'll change my life. Don't wait. Choose right now. Take the challenge that Jesus has thrown out and get on the narrow road. It may be lonely at times, but Jesus is always there with you. So I want to ask you this. Are we willing to be a narrow-minded church? Are we willing to say what really matters is following Jesus?
do you think we could make a difference in Hobbes if that happened? Are you willing to walk on that road? This is not the challenge that I'm offering you. This is the one that Jesus gave. Unfortunately, sometimes we just want to wait another day to answer that question. But this morning, I want you to think about that. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And am I willing to leave the cruise ship and get in the boat? Jesus' promises that He'll be in there with us. Let's take just a moment and pray. Our God and Father, I just, my heart just aches for the hurt that we feel in this world. I am devastated by the things that I continue to hear and read in the, the media. And in so many ways, there is sin that's taking place on such a large scale. And not only do we turn a blind eye to it, not only do we simply condone it, just feel like we're celebrating it. And our society is saying, if you don't love, accept, and embrace the decisions of other people, then we're hurtful and mean and blind. And where that leaves us, Lord, is on a very narrow road. And yet, Lord, it's one that you've called us to. It's one that you have challenged us to join. And amidst all the distractions, through all the noise, Lord, I just ask that we stay focused on seeking and serving you. This morning, I pray this morning you will continue to work in the hearts of each one of us that we will continue to ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to follow you? And are we really willing to do it? My prayer is that you will soften our hearts, that you will blind us to the distractions of this world, and that you will give us a glimpse of your glory and your love and your mercy. We thank you for offering that to us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You know, the road that Jesus has called us to is an invitation that's been open to everyone. It is a narrow road, but that's not because Jesus doesn't want people on it. It's because they choose not to. And some of you have believed a lie that says that you're not allowed on that road, that you can't follow Jesus because of your past, because of your mistakes. And that's simply not true.
Jesus says, Come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, for I am meek and gentle in heart, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Are you willing to take the yoke of Jesus? Are you willing to say, God, I want you to be in control? If that's a decision that you would like to make this morning, we want to encourage you as we sing this song of invitation and we all stand, we want to encourage you to to come forward and put on Christ in baptism, to confess your sins and call Him your Savior, to go to the back family room and ask for prayers that you can find that road that God has called you to. If there's any way that we can help you this morning, please come as we stand and sing.